By the time Jesus rode into Jerusalem, God had become a religion. In fact, the uh, vast majority of our world describes or attempts to describe the living God by virtue of religion. You've probably heard it said throughout the world that all the wars in the world are created by religions. While that may be an exaggeration, there's a certain reality, a certain truth to that statement. It's why most people feel justified in excusing themselves from embracing faith or organized spirituality in their lives because they have watched religion and found it wanting. Religion is bad. At least most people feel that to be the case. Most of what people try to pass off as God is a mischaracterization of who he really is. It has nothing to do with him. Sadly, what most of our world thinks about God is a result of what they see in the religions around them. Religion, I would define, is a man-made rendition of a man-made God. In fact, in front of all the world's religions, there should be a warning label that says this. Any resemblance that this religion has to God is purely coincidental. By the time Jesus was ready to reveal his time and his true identity to Israel, which was the Sunday, by the way, before his crucifixion, God had become a religion. And the reason that people can't recognize Jesus is because they have decided on their religion before they have met him. I wonder if anybody here this morning is in that particular situation. So certain are they that God is a religion, they stumble over Jesus, allegedly trying to find their way to God. That's what the scriptures teach us. Either Jesus is a rock of our salvation, or he is the stone that makes men stumble, a rock that makes them fall. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8, he writes this, To you who believe, this stone is precious. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, this morning as we spend some time reviewing this amazing story that is recorded for us in all of the Gospels, so crucial is it to our theology and what we know about God and what we know about who Jesus is and what we know about our relationship with God is wrapped up in this dramatic event. Oh God, I pray this morning that we might not miss any of this, for this is crucial to our souls. Lord, it is so easy, it is so natural for humans to gravitate toward religion and ritual 
which moves us in the opposite direction of you. And pretty soon, we are making a religion for ourselves and not about you. And if there is any vestige of that in any of our hearts, O oh God, I ask this morning that by the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in his children and is powerfully visiting us here this morning, that you might, Lord, bring it to our attention and chase it far away from us. Lord, I just pray that you would demonstrate your great power and the great meaning of Christ to us. For I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21, please? Matthew chapter 21. As I said, this particular event in, in Christ's story among us was, is called the triumphal entry, and it's recorded in all four Gospels. Not everything is recorded in all four Gospels, but this is. It has a, a very powerful significance. The living and true God did not make us for religion. He made us for himself. In Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We were made for God. We were made for Christ. In John 1.12, But to all who did, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. A family relationship. You'll look long and hard throughout the scriptures to find anything that has any semblance to religion. It's, it's about relationship from the very beginning. At the very beginning of the scriptures, in Genesis chapter 1, God came to dwell among men. He made men that he might dwell with them, that he might relate to them. And the whole storyline of the Bible from that point forward is God pursuing a relationship with people. And the great triumphant statement at the end of the scriptures is now the dwelling of God is with men. The great celebrative conclusion of the scriptures. If it's about religion, that religion will eventually be used to serve ourselves. As you saw from the visuals here of the representation of the scriptures. Because humans are chronically and pathologically consumers. That's who we are. We consume and we gather around ourselves the things that we want and the way we want them. And religion is a classic spiritual, quasi-spiritual rendition of our desire to consume things. To fashion things the way we want them. God refuses to reward religion and ritual with the things you can only get through relationship. And Jesus 
came all the way from heaven, he's called the man from heaven, to prove it. There were two things that made Jesus weep while he was on earth. One of them was the death of Lazarus, remember? And the second was here at the triumphal entry. It's recorded in the Gospel, in the gospel of Luke. As Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and was overlooking Jerusalem, he began to weep. Why did he weep? Because all he could see in Jerusalem was religion. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you understood this day of visitation and what would bring you peace. Not your religion, but a relationship with the living God that you have now missed so desperately. And my heart is burdened this morning because it's highly possible. And I continue to, 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 to carry this burden. It's so highly possible because it is so in us. It is so highly possible for people who come to Calvary Baptist Church to be caught up in a religion, a Sunday thing, a ritual. The alarm goes off. I get up on Sunday. I come to church because that's what I do. And I wonder if there's anyone here who Christ is weeping over saying, Oh, if you only knew what would bring you peace. You come and you go and you don't have peace in your heart. You don't have a sense of it being settled with God. You look around and you see others rejoicing and praising and, and enthusiastic about Christ. And you wonder, why isn't that in my heart? Why am I missing that? And you leave another Sunday the same as you came. The alarm will go off next Sunday. And you'll get up because it's your religion. So why are you here today? There were a number of reasons why the people all gathered as Jesus was entering, as Jesus was stirring the city. When Jesus paraded into Jerusalem, the reaction was quite varied, as you see in the text. Some, it says, laid their cloaks, some palm branches, some were shouting and dancing, others were concerned. If you have come to be involved in your religion, it is highly possible that you might miss Jesus altogether. That's the great tragedy. So let's just break down a few of these things, the possible reasons why you might be here today. Those who were laying down their cloaks before Jesus, it was, it was a sign of submission, actually. The ones that were actually taking their garments off and throwing them down before him culturally, they were declaring him king. The ones that were waving palm branches and throwing the palm branches before him, it was kind of like a Canada Day celebration. They were into nationalistic fervor. It was all about, Hosanna, save us now, oh Lord, save us now, uh, Jesus, from Rome. And so the palm branches were, were indicating their, their cultural and their traditional preservation, nationalism, about victory. 
the promise of physical prosperity. That was on their hearts. That's why they came. Personal prosperity. Others were just the customers of religion and the preferred forms of those religions. Jesus is fine as long as he fits the way I wish to understand him. Hoping to today to meet the preferred expectations of the way religion should be as you understand it. Some were curious and skeptical. Their mind was closed unless changed. Others were political. They, they were there because they believed they needed to be there. There was pressure to be there. I mean, the family all goes to church. So I'm not going to be the one who kind of makes a stir. Some were there for the show. All this shouting and dancing and this great parade and party. They all joined in on Sunday, but by Friday they were betraying him, shouting that he'd be crucified. Maybe you join the show on Sunday, but by Wednesday or Thursday, your coworkers would be shocked if you told them you were a Christian. Others were there for a personal agenda. God needs to act on my timetable. They like him as savior, like him as liberator, but not so much as Lord. The vast majority of people who call themselves Christian in Canada love the idea of Jesus as Savior. They love the idea of Jesus as Deliverer. They love the idea of God who gets me out of a jam. They love the idea of the, the God that they can call to when they're sick and, and when they're afraid. Oh, God, get me out of a jam. But they don't like a God to be Lord. As long as he doesn't mess with my life at all, as long as I can do whatever I want, sure, I'll believe in Jesus. I'll add Jesus to my, my, my ideas of historic realities. I'll come to church. I, I like the idea of the Savior Jesus. But the Jesus who asks anything of me, who makes demands on my life, no, I'm not, I'm not, why not? That's not, that's not my agenda. Why did Jesus... Come here today. He is here, you know. So why did Jesus come here today? I, I want to summarize this whole event in the scriptures with, I want to point out three reasons why Jesus is here today. And, and he showed us in kind of a dramatic fashion with three illustrations, a donkey, a den, and a figless fig tree. Those three things. That's what we're going to camp on this morning for a few moments. A donkey, what do we learn from a donkey? What do we learn from this den thing? And what about this figless fig tree? Wrapped up in those three illustrations of this event is the most powerful statements 
of the truth of what we theologically must know about who God is and who Jesus is and what it means to have a relationship with God and Jesus and what that all looks like. It's all wrapped up in these three powerful illustrations. It says in the text, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Or save us now! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? He is presenting the answer to that question, even in the donkey that he rides on. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, they got part of it right, but certainly reduced the reality. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? And then he quotes from Psalm 8. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. The English does not do justice to this statement. It was The only way I can describe it is it was a strong departure. Uh, You never want to have Jesus strongly depart from you. In the same way as, as he entered and was delivering something very important, I want to talk about it in a few seconds. You never want Jesus to strongly Depart from you. And it was on the basis of them being indignant about the wonderful things he was doing. It was about their reaction to worship. Be very, very careful about how you treat worship. About how you treat the the adoration of Christ. The expressions of the adoration of Christ. 
If indignance riles up in you, be very, very careful and, and, and run to the Lord and fall before him. You never want Jesus to leave you and go out to the city of Bethany. Early in the morning as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Okay, so here it is. Three reasons that I want to express to you why Jesus is here today. The first is this. It has everything to do with the donkey. Why the donkey? In Zechariah, if you took, look back in your, in your uh, scriptures, in fact, not very far, Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah. It's really easy to find. Zechariah 9, verse 9. It says here in the text, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey. What was this all about? What was Jesus doing? Jesus was delivering into the city of Jerusalem righteousness and salvation. Jesus delivers the righteousness of God and salvation to the unrighteous, something religion cannot do. You can't get righteousness by works of religion or of charity, or of anything. It is one of the hardest concepts to get across to people. You can't acquire righteousness through works of religion, or charity, or good behavior. You cannot. The only way that a person can acquire the righteousness that God will, is willing to accept is as it is delivered in Jesus Christ alone. As he came into the city, the great statement that was being made is, this is the only way that salvation can be delivered through Christ Jesus this is why Jesus rode on the donkey. It was to draw attention to the most important of theological realities. Believe me, brothers and sisters, beloved, this is the most important theological reality. You can't please God. You can't gain righteousness by yourself, through your works, in any possible religion. Jesus alone delivers the righteousness of God to those who by faith receive him. This is the powerful message of the triumphal entry. The Apostle Paul understood this fully in Romans chapter 1 when he wrote this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This righteousness is revealed by Jesus Christ alone. He came delivering it. He alone. Jesus is delivering what comes by God's grace to those who turn by faith from themselves and any self-effort to the Savior alone. He brings everything you need for peace with God. That's why he wept over the city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If you could only understand. This is what the prophet was saying you could only understand what would have brought peace with God. It is me. To have the Son means you have righteousness. It's a gift by grace to those who by faith receive and welcome it. Jesus, listen to me. Jesus is how you get salvation. That's it. Jesus is how you get salvation. Religion tries to build a case from the outside in. A relationship with Christ builds from the inside out. When we come to faith in Christ, we receive our righteousness from God that now bubbles forth from inside of us. That's why... Um, you can't fix people from the outside. That's why our world is so broken. Rules, rituals, religion, all these efforts to try to fix people from the outside. You can't fix people from the outside. Because the damage is already on the inside. You have to get to the inside and you can't get there from the outside. Only Christ can get there. This is what's... So challenging, so frustrating for parents as we try to set up all these boundaries and barriers and obstacles and we build fences around our children for behavior and we wonder, why? Why are they sinning? This whole Duggar fiasco, if you have been following it, the, the 19 kids and counting thing and the tragedy within their family, a family that's so disciplined and so structured and so ritualistic and so godly. And how could one of their kids abuse his sisters? I mean, we set up all of the boundaries and the obstacles and the barriers. Because sin resides in our hearts. You can't fix that with rules in your house. It only comes from a, a, a fanned into flame relationship with Jesus Christ and his righteousness that chases away our desires to sin. And Jesus is riding into town saying, if you could only understand this, you, you can't Put on your garments and your robes and your rules and your rituals and think that somehow you're going to act godly. It'll never work. It'll never work. A relationship with Jesus guarantees 
personal possession of the righteousness of God. And when God sees that righteousness, he is well pleased. And our sins are forgiven. That's the gospel. And that's why the prophet could say, do, do not fear. Rejoice and shout. When we come here in the morning on a Sunday morning and Jesus is here, we don't fear. We rejoice and we shout. Why? Because only Christ can make us right with God. And we love him for it. And we praise him for it, and we rejoice, and we shout, and we tell each other, isn't it great what Jesus has done for us? And so he walks to the temple. What's the point of a temple? A temple is supposed to uh, warehouse the God that it claims to represent. It's supposed to advertise that God. A temple is supposed to be the, the place of intersection between God and man. From the very beginning of the scriptures, it's always been about temple. Temple at the beginning, temple at the end. The dwelling of God with man. That's what it's all about. God created, created in the beginning the universe as his glorious grand temple. The stars declare the glory of God. The whole universe is the temple of God. It displays who he is. And people were made in the image of God to demonstrate his glory, to, to demonstrate who he is. And ultimately, as we work our way through the scriptures, we realize that, that our bodies become the temple of God. And so when Jesus comes to the temple, he realizes that all of this commerce, all of this stuff, which, by the way, was happening in the section of the Gentiles, he realizes that all of this stuff that was going on in the temple was interfering and being an obstacle in the way of people intersecting with God. The whole point of the temple was that people might intersect with God. And so he comes to them and he realizes that, that these tables are all in the way. They're all, they're, they're all obstacles. That people are, 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 are trading currency at exorbitant rates because there was nothing wrong with the currency exchange. They came from everywhere in Passover, from all kinds of different nations, with all kinds of different currency. It wasn't the currency issue. It was the exorbitant rates, and it was the mess all over the area of the Gentiles. It wasn't the selling and buying of, of uh, sacrificial animals. They had to do that. It was that what was happening was a, a ripoff of people and an obs obstacle to their connecting with God. That's why Jesus called it a den of thieves. When you think of a den, what do you think of? You think of a lair. You think of a, a place where bad things are happening. A den is, is not generally, it's like, it's where um, agendas and schemes are dark. It's the opposite of what a temple is supposed to be. The temple of God is supposed to be the light of the world to, to show the glory of God. 
And that's why Jesus said, you've made it a den of thieves, but it was supposed to be a house of prayer. A house, what's a house? A house is a gathering of family. A house is an open welcome place. A house of prayer is a place, prayer is a connection with God. This place, Jesus said, was supposed to be a place where people could connect with the living God and you're making an obstacle of it. You're in their way of it. And so he overthrows the tables. In other gospels, Jesus actually quotes Isaiah 56, 7. This temple, this house, is to be a house of prayer and the the prophet and Jesus said, for all the nations. You Jews have made a relationship with God a religion for the Jews. And you're using the Gentile area for your commerce, blocking them from intersecting with God. The intention of Almighty God is that all the peoples of the world would have ready and easy access to the living God. Sorry, guys, I know I'm off script here a little bit. I think I'm on biblical and theological script, just not my notes. Makes it tough for them up there. Give them a hand up there. They're they're, they're great because, you know... It isn't easy. (laughs) It isn't easy. We are on point two. And point two is Jesus will cure the temple so healing can happen, something religion cannot do. I don't know if you noticed, but in the text there, um, by the time we get to verse 14, it says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. It wasn't until Jesus cured the temple that healing could take place. Let me just make a quick point here. If the temple becomes a place of religion, it will be a den for untruth and religious schemes about human power, position, and preference. But if the temple is a place of Christ worship, it will be a house of intimate relationship, truth, and connection to divine power. Our bodies are the intersection place of God and man. You know, they question, by what authority are you overthrowing these tables? (laughs) By what authority? Jesus had already declared himself the temple. He said, destroy this, and in three days I'll raise it up. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll I'll raise it up. And then, in this most amazing transition, he declares us the temple of the living God. Believers, we're now the temple of the living God. We're the intersection place of God and man. We're the place that glorifies the living God. We're the light to the nations. We're the ones who represent Jesus Christ everywhere we go. This has always been the plan of God that his glory would fill the world. When he said, be fruitful and multiply, and, and, uh, and subdue the earth and spread out and fill it. He meant fill it with my glory. And now as believers go everywhere in the world, we are the temple of the living God. 
There's a final thing I said about the figs. This whole place called Bethphage, I'll, I'll wrap this up quickly, don't worry. This whole place called Bethphage, um, it, it can be translated in two different ways. It's either the house of unripe fig or the house of the early fig, and I prefer that translation. I think that's probably true. There's no accident as you read at the very beginning of chapter 21, that when Jesus approached Jerusalem, he came to Bethphage, the place of the early figs. And when Jesus um, is, is on his way, knowing full well that Israel had turned God into religion and had rejected him and were going to reject him, he sees this fig plant at Bethphage, the house of the early fig, the early sweet fig, actually. And it was all show. I mean, this bush was, Wah! you know what I mean? Like, here I am, giving the impression that it had lots of sweet early figs. And Jesus walks over to it. And notices there is not a fig to be found. It was all show and no go. Just like Israel. Just like all of the world who relies on religion, the robes, the rituals, the glorious buildings, the amazing uh, uh, experiences, all show, but no substance. Your religion may be decorative and impressively ceremonial, but a relationship with Jesus enables people to be who God had created them to be something religion can never do. We're supposed to be Bethphage. Each one of us are supposed to be a symbol, a house of the sweet early fig, bearing fruit, offering something rich to other people. Our leaves are supposed to be displaying the fact that we have fruit. We, we get good at showing off. We, we get good at knowing how to do this thing, how to show up on Sunday and how to, to use the Christianese. And we get good at growing leaves. But Jesus isn't looking for leaves. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for the real thing. Not the show. Not the show of religion. Religion amounts to nothing. Relationship brings forth the purpose for which you were created. To live a life of faithful fruitfulness to Christ empowered by prayer. That's why he went on to say, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to the mountain, go, throw yourself in the sea and it'll go. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you are in connection with me, if we are intimately connected, because that's what prayer is all about, 
It's not a, it's not a, a one-time throw-out prayer and say, hey, oh, God, get me out of a jam. No, no. If you are in intimate connection, which prayer, the life of prayer really talks about and really means the, the whole point of the temple and the intersecting of God, then you, you ask whatever you want by faith, it's going to happen. Because you and I are so intimately connected that what you ask for is what I want. That the simple reality is this, that God's way, say yes to God's will and trust in God's power. That's what he's talking about here. We weren't created just to serve ourselves or take in all the resources for personal comforts. He saved us to worship him, to be dispensers of grace, to have a relationship with Christ, to enter into a discipleship relationship with Christ. And then operate from the righteousness within and the power of God through prayer. Tonight we're going to have a prayer service. We need to gather here tonight. We have some urgencies to pray about. Our, our world's a mess. We have some, some significant ministry opportunities and realities we need to be praying about. Because that's what we were made to do is to connect with God. His purpose is His will. So there it is. Relationship brings forth the purpose for which we were created. We were created to be Bethphage. The point is not to use God to get what you want. It's to trust God to be who he wants you to be by faith through his power to produce. Our Father... Jesus, in so many dramatic ways, made it really obvious and specific that it isn't about religion. It always was and always will be about relationship. God in heaven, the God of the universe made men and women for relationship with him. We were made for you, O oh God. Forgive us for forgetting that. Forgive us for making religions in our own image. Forgive us for transforming temples into places that obstructed the view of God that got in the way of people interacting with God. Oh, forgive us for anything like that. And oh God, forgive us in our own personal lives if we have misrepresented you and being an obstruction ourselves to people longing to know the truth, oh God. So thank you for making a provision to move the natural man and his religion to a relationship with Christ. And now, oh God, I pray, by the power of your spirit and through the proclamation of your word, that you would bring into alignment any hearts here that have been trusting in religion for righteousness instead of the delivery of salvation by Jesus Christ alone and his righteousness. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So 
where is your heart? Why are you here this morning? Have you been trying to uh, manufacture good from the outside in and hope that somehow you will gain enough of a righteous standing before God to please Him? It just won't happen. It can't happen. Jesus must deliver a righteousness from God to your heart. You must receive that. And then he changes you from the inside out. Is your life described more as a den or a house of prayer? A den where you're hatching your own personal agenda and schemes, obstructing the relationship with God? Or is it a house where Christ dwells richly and all who see it realize you're part of the family of God Expressing the glory of God everywhere you go as a temple, advertising who he is. Are you all leaves, but no fruit? Jesus was taking the kingdom away from Israel. With that cursing of the fig tree, it was over. You turned it into a religion. Jesus won't have religion. He's taking away from religion. Because Jesus came from heaven so we would have a relationship with God. Because only as we are connected to Christ can we go from leaves to fruit. As we are connected to the vine, we bear much fruit. Your life isn't fruitful you may not be connected to the vine you may be relying on religion it's not going to cut it so let's bow our heads this morning as we conclude and if there's anyone here this morning say pastor you know what i i think i have been engaged in religion i don't think i have a relationship but i want a relationship with christ today I want to move from religion to relationship right now. Could you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand if that describes anyone here this morning? Okay, thank you. Yes. Anybody else? Okay. Someone else? Yes. Anyone else? Anyone in the balcony? Right after the service, our pastors will be here. If you put, put up your hand, would you please come and talk to us so we can pray with you and Oh, God, thank you for your work among us. Thank you for touching hearts with your word by the power of the Spirit of God. Oh, oh Lord, thank you for Jesus who clarifies everything for us. Thank you that you are the God who came to us that we might intersect with you all the days of our life. God, dwelling with man the purpose of the ages in Christ Jesus thank you Lord in Jesus name we pray amen